Hi, this is your Russian Rulers podcast host, Mark Schaus. I'm interrupting today's podcast all the way from episode 108 to make a short announcement. I've created a new blog site for all things having to do with Russian history and far beyond just the rulers. You can find it at www.RussianRulersHistory.com. I mean, there's a lot of content there already to read about things like the Decemberist Revolt of 1825, the life of Sviatopolk the Accursed, Nikita Khrushchev, and much, much more. Of course, there's also a small little PayPal donation button there if you want to help support the podcast. It would be much appreciated. Now, on to the podcast. Welcome to the Russian Rulers Podcast, Episode 34, Two Titans, Peter and Charles Twelfth. I'd like to start off with a kind of a mea culpa, as I found out I made a mistake in last week's episode, as I claimed that the future Queen Anne of Great Britain was the daughter of William of Orange. Uh, one of the listeners, Justine, informed me that this was incorrect, as Anne was actually his sister-in-law and not his daughter. Thank you, Justine, for straightening me out. Can't put one past you guys. Thanks for keeping me on my toes. Last week, we recounted how Peter and his great embassy returned to Moscow early to not only exact revenge on the rebellious Streltsy and put his sister Sophia away in a monastery for good, but to begin the painful process of westernizing the Russian people. At this point, Peter began to fall into kind of a mental state of paranoia because of the Streltsy revolt and the increased resistance to his westernization program. Tortures of men involved began in Preobrazhenskoy, reminiscent of Ivan the Terrible's Oprachniki, Reign of Terror. The men handled the torture with great strength and intestinal fortitude, frustrating Peter as no new information was obtained implicating any boyars or men of prominence. The men who remained alive after months of torture were mercifully hanged or beheaded with Peter supposedly having done the deed with his own hands, although that is in question. Well, the difference between Peter and Ivan the Terrible were obvious. Peter wanted to protect the state and the office of the Tsar exclusively. He also did not enjoy the proceedings as Ivan did. Ivan was protecting himself. Peter was protecting Russia. Peter was also willing to listen to advisors who warned him not to see a conspiracy behind every corner. Ivan, on the other hand, trusted no one, eventually executing those involved in the Oprichnina. Then, with Peter feeling that the remaining Streltsy units who had not rebelled were still a threat, he had them all disbanded with the men scattered throughout remote regions of Russia, especially Siberia. His revenge on his hated nemesis was now complete. The following year, 1699, on March 21st, Peter presided over the funeral of his closest friend, advisor, and confidant, Francis Lefort, who likely died at the age of 43 due to his lifestyle of drinking and partying. The Tsar lamented, quote, Now I am alone, without one trusty man, he alone was faithful to me. Whom can I confide in now? Peter turned his efforts toward the Ottoman Empire now, but not 
with a war, but with diplomacy, since none of his so-called allies were willing to join with Russia in their battle with the Turks due to their concerns about France and Louis XIV, Peter really had little choice. And then a second blow hit the Tsar with the death of his other close advisor, Patrick Gordon. Now, without two of his confidants, he turned to his longtime buddy, Alexander Menshikov. Menshikov, while certainly capable and very bright, was absolutely corrupt, but ultimately loyal to Peter. With the southern sea rights shut off because of the hard-line stance of the Turks, Peter looked for another seaport to focus on, and the only place available was the Baltic. The only problem was the country controlling it had one of the most feared armies in the European continent at the time, and they were led by a young boy whose name was to spread fear everywhere he went. The country was Sweden, and the boy was Charles XII. On the 18th of August, 1700, Russia signed an armistice with the Ottoman Empire. On the very same day, with their two allies, Poland and Denmark, supposedly by their side, Russia declared war on Sweden in what would be known to history as the Great Northern War. The only problem was that the Polish end of the war went very poorly quickly, and the Danes, well, they lost their war before the Russians could even start theirs. Peter, again, was basically alone in his battle with Sweden. With both Gordon and Lafort dead, he was already short of great military minds, but it just got worse when General Sheehan died, leaving Peter with no trusted and experienced commanders. Still, the Tsar was confident, as Charles was just a boy of 18 or so, and Russia had a far larger army than the Swedes. Peter, though, was in for a rude awakening. The Tsar led his army of 40,000 to Narva, which was for a short time in the 1500s a Russian town in what is now Estonia. Peter thought he could get there way before Charles and take a defensive position where his superior numbers could be used to its greatest advantage. What Peter hadn't counted on was Charles's brilliance and his troops' willingness to do whatever their leader demanded of them. He had his Swedish army of only 9,000 forced march from the Estonian coast where they landed to arrive in Narva days ahead of Peter. When the Russian army arrived, they were in a state of disarray without enough provisions to conduct a proper siege. The Russians didn't even have enough food for the men, and they were being led by an incompetent foreign mercenary, one Charles Eugene. Seeing what a shamble his men were in, Peter headed off to Novgorod under the guise of trying to drum up reinforcements. It has been said that Peter was acting like a coward, although it is very likely that he saw that this was a lost cause and it wasn't safe for him to stay there. But with the Tsar abandoning the field and the Russian army demoralized, Charles attacked with brutal efficiency. 8,000 Russians lay dead, thousands more were captured, along with most of their remaining generals and all the artillery. Peter was humiliated and news of this battle reverberated throughout Europe, and of course in Moscow. But there were deeper ramifications with this defeat. 
Peter had sworn to his European hosts during his great embassy that he had no intentions of attacking Sweden. The great maritime powers like England and Holland did not want a Baltic war as it would disrupt naval commerce. As Narcissus Luttrell wrote at the time, quote, "'Tis now generally believed that the Tsar of Muscovy will join the King of Poland against the Swedes and endeavor to retake Narva. But in case he should, tis supposed England, France, and Holland will assist Sweden. Now, one thing to note, do you notice how he referred to Peter not as the Tsar of Russia, but as the Tsar of Muscovy? This meant that many in Europe still saw Russia as a principality of Moscow, and not a nation, and certainly not an empire. Peter was angry and furious. He threatened to seize the property of all Europeans in Russia and imprison anyone whose government aided the Swedes. A treaty was then put together and proposed at a peace conference in Vienna to end hostilities between Sweden, Poland, and Russia. The representative of Sweden said that Charles will sign a treaty with Poland but not the Tsar. He even laughed and mocked Peter. Everyone in Europe was now sure that Charles would march on Russia and crush the brutish Tsar's pitiful army. On top of it, Europe was ready to help Sweden and pick apart Russia and bring them into the Catholic fold when a bolt of lightning came down much to the benefit of Russia. When the king of Spain died, Charles II, this led to the Twelve-Year War of the Spanish Secession, which would take up much of Europe's resources and stop any aid for the Swedes. The other shocker here is the fact that Charles of Sweden did not press his advantage and attack Russia. Many have speculated on why he didn't, but the main theory, backed by some correspondence that we've seen, is that the king didn't view Russia as much of a threat and that he could take his time. This was a huge mistake. Charles instead attacked Poland. The Swedes won battle after battle against the forces of Augustus, never winning a true decisive battle, although they did force Augustus to abdicate the Polish throne after about seven years of fighting. Now, this didn't mean that Augustus had given up, as the fighting would continue on and off for 14 more years. But this was really the break Peter needed. He knew his army and navy were woefully undertrained and equipped. But one thing that Tsar did know was that he had two huge advantages. One was the almost inexhaustible serf recruits he could draw upon, and secondly, something Napoleon and Hitler would subsequently find out years later. And it's not the weather. It was Russia's vast lands and it would serve as a kind of a moat protecting the inner cities. The armies had to cross great expanses of land in order to get to any of the major cities in Russia. Now Peter, he took his boundless energy and began to rebuild not just his military, but he built up his economy, creating new manufacturing industries to make Russia self-sufficient and supplying the army and the navy. Before, they had to use foreign industries. They had to buy things from Europe. 
and this was not easy at this time because of the war of the Spanish secession. Peter created metal working plants to help create weapons and utilize the incredible Russian natural resources. It would eventually become a major Russian asset, but it wasn't ready for prime time yet. Peter needed metal, and he needed it now. Ore conversion to usable metal was not developing fast enough. Where to get his hands on the metal he needed? The answer was the Russian Orthodox Church. He ordered church bells to be taken and melted down. But Peter had very little resistance, as the patriarch had just died, and the Tsar purposely did not name a replacement. Of course, the cost of rearmament was extremely high, as you might expect. Now, aside from additional taxes, Peter debased the coinage by changing the metal content with cheaper alloys. This was something he learned from the rulers and the economists during his great embassy. Peter now could fund his war efforts. In 1702, the Russians were continuing their aid to the hit-and-run tactics of Augustus in Poland, tying up Charles II's army. In November, General Shermatev gave Peter his first land victory at Erstefer near Dorpat because the Russian artillery brilliantly had been fitted to sledges so they could move easily in the northern snows. But Peter wanted more than a small victory. He wanted a naval assault, which he began in May of 1703. After two weeks of bombardment, the Swedish stronghold of Notberg was taken. Peter now needed to consolidate his victory at the mouth of the Neva River near the Baltic. On May 16, 1703, Peter started touring a series of islands around the river when he came upon one Hare Island. He stood there, reflecting, when he decided that this swampy, desolate place would be the home of a grand, new city, the city of St. Petersburg. Next week, we continue on to the end of the Great Northern War and the foundation of the soon-to-be new capital of the Russian Empire. Now, for this week in Russian history, for the week of January 9th through the 15th. In 1582, Russia ceded Livonia and Estonia to the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth. In 1833, Seraphim of Sarov, Russian Orthodox saint, died. In 1905, according to the Julian calendar, which was used at the time, Russian workers staged a march on the Winter Palace that ends in the massacre by Tsarist troops known as Bloody Sunday, setting off the Russian Revolution of 1905. In 1991, we have Soviet Union military troops attacking Lithuanian independence supporters in Vilnius. They killed 14 people and wounded 1,000. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Don't forget to visit the iTunes App Store and download the Russian Rulers app. And please visit the websites at russianrulers.podhoster.com. Become a Facebook friend at Russian Rulers History Podcast. Don't forget to ask a question, make a suggestion, and please leave a comment. And as always, до свидания и спасибо большое.